The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator who is working to influence policy, aiming at making healthcare more cost-efficient, transparent, and fair. In fact, they're declaring 2015 as the year of the patient. I love that. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Mary Richards, Executive Director of Partners for Better Care. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate you having us. Well, we really appreciate you making the time today. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I've been working in healthcare policy in Washington, D.C. for just about 20 years now. I started off working on the Hill, as so many folks do. I worked for two different members of Congress and then spent 10 years working in neurodegenerative diseases and patient advocacy for both the Parkinson's Action Network and for the Alzheimer's Association As a part of my work with the Alzheimer's Association, I also stood up their sister organization, a 501c4 political organization called the Alzheimer's Impact Movement. I've been really excited to join Partners for Better Care and have been here for just about a year now. Great. And could you give us a 10,000-foot overview of Partners for Better Care? Be delighted to. So Partners for Better Care is a patient advocacy organization-led coalition. We have 10 member organizations that are all patient advocacy groups representing more than 55 million Americans with different chronic and debilitating conditions and diseases, everything from AIDS United to the United Cerebral Palsy. We are delighted with the groups we represent, and we focus very much on accessible, affordable, and transparent patient-centered quality care. Perfect. Let's start with this. I noticed that you recently released a patient charter. Why was it important to release a patient charter at this time? As these organizations that we represent, the member organizations, as well as other patient advocacy organizations that we've been talking with over the last year or so, have been working on this next generation of healthcare, what we heard from those organizations was that there is this large platform of issues that are challenging in terms of how they impact patient populations, but also challenging in terms of entry points for patient advocacy groups to be able to work with other industry and government stakeholders to both assess what the challenges are and to contribute to solutions. As we looked at this large complement of issues, one of the things we realized was necessary was to make a set of statements or principles that patient advocacy organizations could rally around and that would also put a stake in the ground for other stakeholders to understand where patient advocacy organizations and the people they represent are coming from in terms of those broad principles of of what does patient-centered healthcare look like and how do we see issues around affordability and transparency in particular. Great. Well, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions that are covered through your patient charter that people can go out and look at 
from your website, but I think that are on the top of all of us as consumers slash patients. And I'll start with this. How can we make consumers' out-of-pocket costs more predictable and manageable? Well, that's a fantastic entry point, right? So many of us don't think of ourselves as patients in our day-to-day lives unless we happen to be going to the physician's office for one reason or another. But with so many Americans living with chronic conditions or even acute conditions, we know that we all interact with the healthcare system quite a lot. And when you do interact with the healthcare system, you want for it to be understandable. One of the things that we found as Partners for Better Care was convening. Uh, We did some survey work and polling work on our own, but we also looked at what the Commonwealth Fund published back in 2014, and they showed that 20 million Americans had a medical problem and did not visit a doctor or a clinic. And one of the reasons that folks gave as to why they didn't go see the doctor was a lack of confidence that they understood what ultimately would come out of their pocket after seeing a physician. We know that we can and must do better. Quality, affordable, accessible healthcare is is available in the United States, but it's not available to all people, and not everyone is convinced that they have it. I think the other thing that's behind our work it was also supported by the Kaiser New York Times survey that was published back in January, I believe, that shows that the personal cost of healthcare ranks third behind terrorism and the economy is an extremely important issue to voters in this presidential year. So. As you see in the patient charter that's on our website, partnersforbettercare.org, the first statement that we make is that patients should have an active and formal voice in health system transformation, including payment and delivery system reform. But patients want to be a part of the systemic efforts to contain costs and assess value of care and treatment. That is our first principle, and that's the one that really runs through the remainder of the patient charter. We know that there are some efforts underway now for example, in the exchange for CMS to collect better information from patients about how the decision-making experience can be facilitated, and we're looking forward to participating in a dialogue with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, among some other concrete steps to not only assess what out-of-pocket costs will look like, but then also fundamentally reduce some of those costs. Perfect. Mary, here's the next one. How can we increase transparency around healthcare cost and quality information? Transparency is an interesting question. I think there are some really interesting proposals out there. But one of the things that is fundamental to making informed healthcare choices, as many Americans have multiple choices now, whether it's through the exchange or employer-provided care, even within Medicare, there are many choices that folks have to make. But we are consistently hearing from patients that the information needs to be both accessible and up-to-date especially around open enrollment periods. And we are hearing that there are quite a lot of challenges, not only in terms of that selection process for patients, but we have heard from folks, in particular, some constituents of AIDS United have expressed some concerns as they have questions around the medications that they need to take and calling the healthcare plan that they've been using to ask the question about changes in formularies and spending multiple hours on the phone with um, representatives of those plans to try to determine whether those medications are covered, how they're covered, where they sit in the formulary, and then ultimately what the copayment or out-of-pocket costs will look like. These questions to folks who are living with chronic conditions who rely on life-saving medications, they just need to be able to be answered by both the plans and that that information needs to be both readily available and easily accessible to folks making those sorts of informed healthcare decisions. Mary, how can we improve provider network adequacy? 
Provider network adequacy is such an interesting issue, especially right now. We've got a couple of things going on in this space that I think are driving an important conversation. I will say at the outset that we do understand that networks are a vital tool that health plans have for contracting with high-quality providers and also negotiating prices and ensuring that there's some cost discussion along the way. So networks as a concept is something that we absolutely understand. The challenges within those networks is to ensure that patients have access to both the right providers within their networks and within the right distance. So if you are living in ultra-urban or ultra-rural areas, we know that can be a challenge, but we're also hearing that can be a challenge just across the board right now. One of the things that's also been in the news quite a lot lately are surprise billing. So you check and know that a, a hospital may be in network with your plan, but that some component of the healthcare team that serves you in an emergency visit or during a surgery may be out of network. And there are some good solutions on the table right now. In particular, we're looking at some proposals with the Network Adequacy Model Act that the National Association of Insurance Commissioners has put out with the contributions of a lot of really good groups, including the American Heart Association. And we're looking at some of those solutions as possible assistance for patients who otherwise have those bills that are out-of-network providers and in-network hospitals have often been landing on the desk and in the pocketbook of patients. I think there's some good progress being made there. We hope to participate in progress towards those solutions that prevent patients from being the ones that are left holding the check. And I think there are some meaningful solutions that all of the industry stakeholders as well as government stakeholders in that challenge, I think folks are really coming to the table there. Well, Mary, nobody's going to accuse me of lobbing you softball questions. These are really hard. How can we ensure reasonable health care costs? I think that there are some big picture conversations that are being had right now and, and need to be had amongst the multiple stakeholders in the field. So right now we do see that there are significant rise in out-of-pocket costs for patients. And I think that folks are increasingly paying attention to overall health care costs. We are hearing from folks who we represent that deductibles, co-pays, and premiums are increasing at an unsustainable rate, and we are concerned about the rate at which out-of-pocket costs have been increasing. We want to change that, but we also want to participate in the larger conversation of how do we assess value in healthcare while maintaining principles around personalized medicine and other innovative ideas in healthcare that can ultimately rein in costs but have I think that we've not yet really been able to wrap our collective minds around it and find a way ensuring both accessible but affordable medicine. Perfect. And I think one of the ways to do that, uh, just to put a refiner point on that, one of the ways to do that is to ensure that as we talk about patient-centered care and value in healthcare, too often we see that the folks who are at the table in those conversations do not include patient groups. We do think that if you're thinking about innovative models in care and new models of delivering value-based care, we think of the folks with chronic conditions or multiple chronic conditions ultimately as super users of the system. And it makes best sense to ensure that those folks are at the table as these solutions are being discussed if we want to ensure that it is meaningful to people on the ground and who are the primary drivers of a lot of the healthcare costs in our country. Great. One question I'm sure a lot of people want to know are interested in, how can we improve the insurance appeal process to make it easier, quicker, and more fair? 
Exceptions and appeals is something that we care a lot about. One of our member organizations, the Magic Foundation, does a lot of work in this space. Although health plans always have a pathway to dealing with exceptions and appeals, we are hearing from a lot of patient advocacy organizations and the members they represent that understanding those pathways, understanding the mechanisms, the responsibilities of both patients and the assistance that may be provided by physician offices is often poorly understood. That information about how to access exceptions and appeals is something that we look forward to talking with health plans about, making sure that those things are easily accessible. And frankly, when someone is confronted with needing to navigate the exceptions or appeals process, typically they are undergoing some type of treatment and are frankly not feeling well. So how is it that we can help the plans provide that information more easily and then ensure both timely access to the appeals process and a rapid and fair process itself? I think on this one, there are some questions as to whether or not it is something that can be technology-assisted, something that physician's office can play a different role in. I think there are a lot of solutions that are on the table We just want to make sure that we are working with those industry stakeholders who have innovative ideas to put those ideas forward and put them in the hands of patients more quickly. Perfect. And the last real hardball question, how can we ensure fair and stable formularies and equitable access to therapies? Equitable access to therapies is something that many of our member organizations have been working on. I think that you can look particular to the HIV AIDS community for a lot of really good work that they've been doing, but there are also assistive technologies and devices that, for example, the National Multiple Sclerosis Society and the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, as well as the Amputee Coalition, have been working on. When we think about formularies, we typically think about medications, prescription drugs, and biologics. As we think about the experience that some of those groups had in, in Florida, most recently around discrimination in formularies, and we also think about the ways in which some of the more subtle and informal interactions have been able to support changes in formularies, one of the things that we're looking for is life-saving therapies and curative therapies are available to patients. We do think that there's a strong economic basis for reducing disability and for facilitating the maximum amount of participation in society and the economy and the workplace. And those things are often done by allowing patients to have access to the therapies that they need at a rate that is feasible for them. I know that there are a lot of pharmaceutical companies that have assistance plans and programs. We really want to make sure that whatever the mechanisms that patients who rely on these therapies have access to them, and frankly, that folks who are living with chronic conditions and particular but acute conditions as well are able to both participate in family and home as well as the workplace. And a lot of these therapies, I think when you think more globally about the economy of healthcare and our economy writ large, you can see that having access to those medications pays off in the long run. Great. Mary, what have I missed? What would you like to communicate about the patient charter and or partners for better care that I have not asked you? The stick in the ground that we have is through the lens of patient advocacy organizations and people with debilitating diseases and conditions. But we are looking at these issues through this lens, but we want to work with other stakeholders to come up with compelling solutions to these challenges that I think so many of us are focused on. So I think that it's a valuable perspective to share with others, but we also want to participate in the greater dialogue around solutions to these challenges that I think we're increasingly aware of as a country. 
All right. And Mary, before we let you go, where can people go to learn more about Partners for Better Care? People can go to our website, which is partnersforbettercare.org, or check us out on Twitter at partners for care We would love to hear from folks on Twitter or Facebook or, or through our website where you can learn much more about us and participate in the dialogue. Mary, it's so great to have you on the show today. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your great wisdom. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your uh, listeners. We really appreciate it as well. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Mary Richards, I'm Joe LaBelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.